Welcome to another exciting episode of the Alternative Investment Podcast. Listen in as host Andy Hagens interviews asset managers, family offices, and industry thought leaders as they discuss the most effective strategies to grow generational wealth. From commodities to real estate, venture capital, private equity, and more, we cover it all here on the Alternative Investment Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Investment Podcast. I am your host, Andy Hagens, and today we're talking about sustainability. Obviously, a very powerful trend in the luxury home segment, but how does it affect investor returns and how can investors participate in this trend? And joining me is Lorenzo Sargenti, who is founder and managing partner at Shape Equity Partners. Lorenzo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. And, you know, I think Shape Equity Partners is a pretty unique company. Obviously, a lot of developers use the word sustainability or eco-friendly. Uh, I hate to say buzzword, but almost like a, a buzzword. But, uh, you know, looking into Shape Equity Partners, it really seems like you you focus um, so much on these things, you know, more so than than, than the typical uh, developer. So could you sort of take us back to the beginning? How did Shape Equity Partners begin? Well, Andy, it's an interesting question. Um, as you might know, I'm originally from, from Switzerland, where these topics are actually very topical. And when I moved to the US about uh, 15 years ago, um, I uh, was looking for a, a residence for my family. And I was actually pretty surprised with uh, the quality of uh, multifamily residential, uh, residential buildings. Mm. Um, you know, the basics, to some extent, uh, were, I would say, very average from a construction standpoint. And I started brainstorming a little bit about the opportunity, and I felt that uh, you know, construction could do much better uh, in getting the basics right. Uh, so things like, for example, um, using better materials, installing uh, materials uh, more efficiently. I always like to use the example of... Uh, of windows, actually installing windows that are appropriate for the external climate, keeping the heat out in the in the summer and keeping the cold out in the winter. In the winter, those basics were not there, and so uh, you know, at the time, I was doing something else, and I uh, it was a uh, in the back of my mind uh, until I found the trip equity, and I really saw an opportunity to uh, focus on these themes um, for multifamily residential. And um, over time, uh, also uh, developed a belief that because of this theme, we can uh, actually have a, a meaning, meaningful impact for all stakeholders, not just our investors, but ultimately as well, uh, the community and the buyers of our, of our assets. So does Shape Equity Partners, are you exclusively uh, developing in multifamily or do you also develop single family homes? We are focused on primarily on multifamily. We do a little bit of single family homes as well. And uh, we're starting to uh, explore commercial uh, spaces as well. But our sweet spot has been primarily multifamily and, and single family homes. Uh, our journey started in the Northeast of the US and we then expanded across the US uh, and we'll then move internationally. But uh, um, we've... Um, we, we felt that there were significant opportunities uh, in the Northeast, in the U.S. 
Um, and that's where we started our journey. Understood. So would you say that sustainability or energy efficiency, are these really like the, the top level themes that you use, you know, in, in your marketing and in just your thesis to investors or, or to, you know, your, your clients and tenants? Well, look, there, there are there are three main themes uh, around our investment strategy and our development strategy. The first one is basically um, focusing um, our investments and development projects outside of city centers. Um, we, we we've done a lot of um, analysis that actually ended up leading to an internal proprietary algorithm that we've developed to really identify real estate opportunities outside of city centers. My observation was that, um, and it started really uh, in New York, that there weren't that many uh, opportunities um, of accelerated asset appreciation outside of city centers. If you think about New York, Brooklyn was kind of an exception, uh, unless you, of course, went uh, further uh, out of, of the city. And I felt that that was very odd. In other parts uh, of the world, if you think about uh, uh, cities like London uh, or Paris, the first circle outside of the core city center really offer, offered many opportunities for investments and and and, and development. So we, we started looking at data and um, over time developed this, this algorithm that basically tries to leverage public and private data as well as uncorrelated data uh, to identify investment opportunities. To bring this to life and be very specific, you know, for example, correlating income and demographics with um, uncorrelated data sets like at what, at what time uh, of the day do people, specifically women, run, run outside? And you actually notice that there is a direct correlation or, between running um, at night and um, increases in asset uh, values, uh, correlated, of course, to income and de demographics. So we started leveraging this data. I mean, that, right off the bat, that kind of makes sense to me. If if uh, women feel safe to run you know, at night, then it's obviously it's perceived as a safe environment, safe neighborhood, right? A family-friendly neighborhood. Exactly, exactly. And so we we basically try to leverage these the, these data sets to have a quantitative approach in our due diligence process and identify these opportunities. So that's step number one. Step number two is um, innovating designs and uh, architecture. So we feel that, you know, to some extent, the basics of climate efficiency and climate awareness is building um I would say in designing in a way that optimizes your natural resources. So things like optimizing natural lights, um, the interiors of, of, of the structure, making sure that it leverages uh, mm -hmm. natural energy. Uh, and there are many, um, I would say, uh, concepts uh, on this theme that uh, really create the first step in the efficiency process. And then, of course, the final um, pillar is is leveraging materials, construction con concepts that, at the end of the day, creates uh, more efficiency for for all stakeholders. And our strategy so far has been not to take it too far. Uh, what climate aware awareness uh, for us at the moment means in practice, it's building better with better materials, 
and really focusing on leveraging uh, capabilities that already exist in terms of efficiency. And then, of course, we'll innovate from there with um, additional technologies that, that can really push the, the envelope further. Uh, but if you don't get the basics right, you know, things like uh, solar energy or heat pumps or, or, or some of the themes that you hear now uh, out there are, are to some extent superfluous if you don't get the, the basics right from the beginning. Understood. Yeah. So in other words, sustainability, eco-friendly, these are these are important aspects, but, but very few consumers are going to rent or purchase a home based just on, on those things. Um, but that being said, you know, I, I think what a lot of people think about environmental issues or energy efficiency, um, increasingly it's becoming a pocketbook issue, a, a, a financial issue. I mean, in Europe, uh, you know, especially obviously energy costs have, have skyrocketed, but even in the United States, energy costs are significantly higher than they were just a, a couple of years ago. So have you noticed the the theme, uh, I guess, as the financial argument for energy efficiency? Have, have you noticed that, you know, bubbling up in conversations more in, in the past six to 12 months? hundred percent. I think that the the increase in energy prices uh, the increase of gas prices, as an example, has really uh, increased the sensitivity on these topics. And we we also see a significant push uh, from uh, the various institutional funds on, on concepts and themes of ESG, where mm -hmm. they're now mandated the, to invest uh, in, in ESG-compliant companies and, and investment funds. But but the, the, the sensitivity is really accelerating um, with the end buyers and, and renters. And there is an economic reason for that. Some of our um, assets have demonstrated that you can start reducing your total cost uh, and your total bill uh, by, by simply uh, building better. Uh, the example, again, that I always like to, to use, right? If, if you're installing proper windows and you don't need to blast the, the heat in the winter and, and the air conditioning in the, in the summer, it will actually uh, save you dollar, dollars on a monthly basis. Um, and that is something really basic that every develop, that developer out there should pay attention to. Um, and we feel that uh, things will just start accelerating from there. This is on the residential side. On the commercial side, you're still seeing a number of, of um, organizations. Uh, I, I like to mention Prologis as an example. Prologis is a, uh, a company that owns and builds warehouses, and their focus has been uh, really on resiliency and climate awareness. And you can see that uh, their their investors, their stock price is really positively impacted by by this strategic focus on on climate and resiliency. Yeah, you know it's interesting in that institutional world you mentioned with the focus on. ESG, um, it's it, it's almost like it, it doesn't matter. You know, so, some people have a positive association with ESG, ESG. Some investors have a negative association with ESG, but it almost doesn't even matter in the sense that if institutional buyers are going to favor ESG, you know, if if regulation is going to, it's it, it'd be like swimming against the current 
um, to fight these sort of things. You know, w- one question I have, I mean, it's it seems like in states like California or in certain uh, more progressive, you know, localities, a lot of these things might even be legally required. So so how much of this sort of development is is aligning with standards and localities versus I feel like if you're in, let's say, Houston, Texas, and you're you're uh, developing, you know, more eco-friendly multifamily, that would be more of a differentiator versus in, you know, uh, Bay Area, California. It's probably what literally everyone is doing because they're legally mandated to, right? Yeah, look, it's you raise an important point. My my philosophy on this is change happens for several reasons. One is a, a new regulation that accelerates the change, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, uh, oftentimes the real acceleration when comes when it, it makes economic sense to accelerate that transformation. And you know, you mentioned before ESG. I think the G of ESG is extremely important because if you if you govern this this process and if you create transparency around themes of efficiency around themes of uh, sustainability I think you 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 create transparency on why building differently has a positive positive impact for all stakeholders and mm-hmm. that transparency is important we're, we're investment uh, uh, individuals right we are number driven. And if mm-hmm. we can demonstrate transparently that building this way is actually better for everyone involved, including investors, um, I think there is a real acceleration in uh, in uh, in this transformation. And look, construction as an industry, I I, I was st- struck by a recent statistic: construction as an industry drives over thirty percent of all CO two emissions. Um, it's a an extremely polluting industry uh, and an inefficient industry, and I think there is tremendous innovation that can occur over the next decades to uh, to improve how we build and actually how we think about uh, uh, efficiency. Well, you know, I think you made a really interesting point, Lorenzo, that 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 a lot of the change, you know, obviously government regulation has a role in change. But if the consumer, if the end user sees a financial value or a usability value, then that just creates natural demand. You know, so the windows, I think the windows are a perfect analogy. Most homeowners kind of understand, you know, the, the benefits of, of high quality windows or the drawbacks of old windows or low quality windows. But, you know, in my experience, the, the higher quality materials even regardless of eco-friendly or not, you know, the higher quality materials, they they can save in the long run, but they have that higher upfront cost. So, you know, with your strategy, does it limit you to building luxury housing? Does it limit, like in multifamily, does it limit you to class A multifamily in residential? Does it limit you to, to luxury residential? Just because the, you know, if you're paying a higher cost for materials, it, it almost by default, places you in the luxury space is that right we we like to believe that that we are actually uh, uh, you know uh, affordable uh and in if you think about the stack mm-hmm. you know, our, our, our sweet spot is you you can think about these themes uh across that value chain and 
you know, initially, um, we focused primarily on uh, luxury housing and, and uh, the top end of the spectrum, but we're now moving right in, uh, in, uh, in the sweet spot. And if you look at uh, some of the uh, developments that we've done um, in the Northeast, places like Jersey City, as an example, these are, um, I wouldn't describe them as luxury building at all. Um, we can apply these concepts, uh, build more efficiently and, and actually control construction costs. We do so primarily by sourcing materials from places that have optimized these concept, concepts, uh, optimized both in terms of cost and efficiency and durability. And mm. so we source a lot of our, of our materials from uh, you know, Europe, where some of these technologies are a little bit more advanced. Um, well, Lorenzo, and- it's interesting. I hear Europe, I think expensive, you know, I think uh, <laughs> Italian marble or, or, you know, I think expensive, but, but you're saying that there are lesser known material suppliers that are more eco-friendly, but that also hit a competitive price point. Definitely. I think that, uh, you know, if you look at places like uh, Poland, for example, mm-hmm. we uh, we import a significant amount of, of materials for Poland uh, where we get a custom made product uh, at a price that is uh, extremely competitive relative to uh, some of the prices that we're seeing here. Um, we also import um, woods from Eastern Europe uh custom made millwork from from italy so every time you hear custom made you mm-hmm. think pricey but actually yeah, not, an alarm goes off in my head <laughs> so, exactly. but I, uh, I actually i think i honestly think quality when i hear custom made because it's i mean in development you know for better or worse my thought in residential is if it's not custom then it's going to be built for cost efficiency which ultimately means cutting corners, then that goes back to the windows that you discussed. I think every builder probably knows that a higher quality windows can probably save money in the long run. But if it increased costs 20, 30% upfront and the consumer doesn't want to pay that upfront, then what do you do, right? You just have to, <laughs> you end up going with the cheapest supply. Yeah, look, Andy, I'll, I'll give you a, a, an example for the lens of investors that I've made recently to an investor uh, in a conversation where I was asked exactly the same question. And, and my point to them was, think about two buildings side by side, uh, one to three Main Street and one to one Main Street. And one is built with better designs, better materials, um, better installations of of those materials, and ultimately with uh, long-term efficiency in mind. Same cost, um, same neighborhood, even to some extent, the same price, the same selling price. Mm -hmm. Our asset is better. Why? Um, Because of the reasons that I described before. And so the buyers will gravitate towards our assets versus our competitors' assets. And we believe that over time, we can generate a premium asset that uh, at the end of the day, buyers want to pay for because Mm -hmm. of that differentiation. And and we're noticing that in many places where, um, you know, we're releasing assets at the same time as competitors, where 
I've anecdotally heard a a story where one buyer came uh, to visit one of our assets and and uh, this lady said to her husband well look the the property down the block is uh, exactly the same price but this is better built and uh, better better materials and look at these closets and mm-hmm. you know these things actually matter for people that uh, are buying either their first home or a home for their family and and uh, we feel that it's an extremely important theme uh, to focus on yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, it would also occur to me like in multifamily, if, if you're buying an asset, like value add, like a, like a turnaround and you're only going to hold the asset for two or three years and then flip it financially, who cares, right? Like who cares what, what quality of windows, what quality paint, what quality, anything really, but from just from a financial standpoint, but if you were building, if you're developing a multifamily asset that you plan to hold for five, seven, 10, 12 years in that context, obviously the, the higher quality materials, uh, they're going to lower your operational costs, lower your CapEx over the long run. Absolutely. And, and the selling value of that asset as well uh, is, is uh, over time is stronger uh, if you build better relative to something that as you mentioned before, is build cutting corners and and not really focused on on these themes. So um, yeah, long term, short term, and long term, uh, the economics make sense and the rationale makes sense. So how about then from the investor side? So I know you know some investors, right or wrong, I think they associate impact investing or ESG with potentially lower investor returns. Um, so does this strategy, I mean, you, you, you've kind of alluded to the idea that, you know, you're not giving up anything in terms of price competitiveness, but how about from the investment side, um, is the sustainability is the higher quality materials, is that an opportunity to enhance returns? Um, how, how does that affect, you know, the, the investor model? Yeah, look, we, uh, at the core of our belief, uh, is that our strategy will improve uh, investors' returns over the long long run. Um, we, uh, we've had performances that are extremely competitive and actually uh, compared to other developers and, and similar um, strategies have overperformed. Uh, we, we've been uh, north of 40% IRR uh, in 2020 and 2021. And um, our target on an annualized basis is is twenty plus percent. And those are very healthy returns in in the space. Um, we We believe that to drive performance, you need to do three things very well. The first thing goes back to the very first point I made is is uh, identify, neighborhoods, zip codes, where asset appreciation is actually occurring mm-hmm. and 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 be certain that you're focusing on data as a starting point. I think in this in our industry, oftentimes um, the the analysis, the initial analysis of a market is is not robust enough. and I think we can do better uh, in that initial analysis. The second point, is really control of construction. I think there are uh, many middle uh, middlemen, subcontractors, general contractors 
everybody needs to uh, be rewarded for the work that they do. But proper control of that chain, I think, is extremely important. And we've put in place a number of uh, processes to have visibility of the underlying cost of our material, of the underlying cost of our labor, and ultimately uh, make sure that we protect margin for our investors as much as possible. And then the final piece is, is really focusing on um, sensitizing the end buyer on why these assets uh, are better and, um, and, and really generate a premium on the exit side. And we're starting to really um, see that, that, that evolution where um, investors that are buying their first home uh, or moving out of the city, in the case of Jersey City, people moving outside of New York into Jersey City, uh, really looking at this from a long-term standpoint and, and valuing uh, our construction methodologies and the efficiencies that we bring to multifamily housing. That's interesting. What? So I have a more ta uh, tactical question, I guess, yeah, a more a granular question. So, you know, thinking about sustainability and higher quality materials, and you've kind of referenced this. So I think it's maybe this is your secret sauce. So you could, you know, share as much as you're willing. But among sustainable quality materials, you know, what what are what are the specific things that are that give you bang for the buck? You know, that ultimately pay for themselves financially, you know, with a certain holding period. And are there any examples of, you know, sustainable type building that is pure luxury, you know, that, that financially doesn't really make sense right now? Because obviously you kind of have to sort through these from, from that cost benefit analysis standpoint. Yeah. Look, look, it's, it's, it's very important. I've been, um, focused on this since day one, mm -hmm. uh, it's important that we balance this evolution. Um, it's not a revolution, it's an evolution in our space. And unless we drive return for our investors and efficiency for our end buyers, this evolution will be slower than what it should be. So we ultimately always make decisions that uh, are looking at the returns for these two very important stakeholders, the investors and the end buyers. But let me give you two very specific examples on some of the materials that we're starting to source that help, help us increase efficiency, but also control the cost. One example that I, I, I love to give because it's a, an interesting story and it's to some extent uh, reinforcing in, in, in how we can leverage innovations in other industries as well. Um, I recently met with a rice producer in the Northern part of Italy and I didn't know this, but uh, when you produce rice, about 70% of your production is basically waste. And so that waste gets burned. And of course, it creates CO2 emissions. And um, this company actually started innovating and leveraging uh, the waste from their production to build um, insulating materials. So they leverage the waste of rice production if you've ever burned rice in your uh, in your uh, cooking experiment, you... well, you know it's that makes me think uh, the burnt rice and the rice cooker has the best taste of any of the rice. I don't know. If you... <laughs> <laughs> well, when when you burn rice, you, you yeah. think about it that this rice cake type of structure, yep, 
and you know we've we've discovered uh, through a number of of different experiments that that's, that material is extremely insulating better than many other materials that have been used in um, in in construction mm. uh lasts longer uh, less polluting uh and very cost efficient so we started as an example experimenting using these materials uh, building strategic partnership with uh, companies uh, like the one that I just mentioned. And, and that's how we protect margin, source innovative products, and make sure that you know, we are the front line of innovation to, to always uh, build better and, and improve performance. Um, and, and just to use that example, the cost differential, differential between using those materials and the traditional materials that are used for insulation um, uh, factors in, in difference, uh, which allows us, of course, to improve the performance for investors. Interesting. Is there any, you know, in that luxury segment, are, are there any eco-friendly or sustainable type of things that people do that are negative ROI? I mean, you know, people are free to do them, but, you know, are there any, <laughs> is there any, any specific material or I don't know, solar or something where you say, that's nice, but that just doesn't make financial sense right now. Yeah, look, I, I'm a I'm a fan of solar, but but uh, done well, and I think oftentimes mm-hmm. uh, I see projects, especially in luxury buildings, where um, solar is. I would describe it as a good as a as a. Um, gimmick or <laughs> almost like a gimmick right it's yeah. it's more uh uh personal branding rather than actual economics sure if you can solar well and and you can see a number of properties for example in california has done solar uh, very efficiently where uh they've reduced their energy cost almost to zero um then it makes a lot of sense but to do solar well I think we also need need to innovate how we uh, we think about uh, architecture. Um, an example I'll give you, especially in the in the high end um, uh, real estate, uh, luxury real estate, we've traditionally built at ninety degree angles. If you think about most of our homes, most of our buildings are at ninety degree angles. Mm-hmm. If you think about uh, nature, our our bodies, plants, trees. They're oftentimes, if not always, in cellular uh, shape. Um, and there is a reason for that. It's much more efficient to capture natural light, to capture sunlight, to uh, facilitate the flow of water. Uh, and there are many other uh, examples that I could mention. And so in, in luxury homes, I think there is um, an opportunity to think about different architectures that may be more expensive from a construction standpoint, but where the returns from an efficiency standpoint might be more significant than simply putting solar panels on on uh, on the roof. Understood. Okay, that's that's interesting. You know, I had one other question. Because it seems like Shape Equity Partners, you're doing a lot of innovation just in terms of material sourcing and and creative use of materials that a lot of competitors uh, would be overlooking. Uh, but given that you're sourcing a lot of them from Europe, did you see any disruption? Are you say, seeing any disruption from you know the ongoing supply chain issues, you know the the Russian invasion of of Ukraine? 
Uh, has how has this affected your business in the last twenty four months? It's had an impact. I think it, it's undeniable. It's had an impact. I think the 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 most important uh, aspects of this that we can uh, actively manage is is providing visibility to our suppliers mm-hmm. as 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 early as possible. So, to some extent, in most of our projects, we have. Uh, as we start due diligence, and when we we have a a, uh, a pretty strong commitment from in, our investors to to move ahead, we can start building uh, proper construction plans and and start uh, sourcing these materials and scheduling the deliver of these materials sometimes even nine to twelve months in advance. And so we're less impacted by uh, supply chain issues. The biggest issue, frankly, has been at the border. Right, once once the material arrives, mm-hmm. uh, we've seen things uh, being blocked at the border for for a couple of uh, couple of months sometimes. But uh, we're trying to manage that proactively and making sure that we give visibility to our suppliers. Um, now, I mentioned Europe. Our goal is to actually source some of these materials and accelerate some of the innovation here in the U.S. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're exploring some some interesting partnership. Uh, in the Midwest, with um, uh, mill workers, window fa- uh, factories, um, and, and some um, service providers that are innovating in 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 the in the theme of of efficiency. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, ultimately, I would think in the name of efficiency, as as much as you can locally source, uh, is even better. But I mean, I I can only imagine the complexity in in supply chain for for developers in in today's day and age especially given um you know the challenges of the past 24 months but sounds like you're very proactive and and I can only imagine that that's 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 the best way to be um Lorenzo I I can't thank you enough um for joining us today and just you know giving us some inside insights into some cutting edge building practices so for our viewers and listeners, um, if we have any investors, potential investors who are interested in Shape Equity Partners, where can they go to learn more? Well, Andy, first of all, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure uh, talking to you and sharing uh, some of these themes. I hope you felt the passion for what we're doing here at Shape Equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to learn more, uh, please visit us at uh, shapeequity.com. And I look forward to uh, meeting hopefully in person uh, with you, Andy, and uh, anyone that would uh, be interested in some of these topics. Sounds great. And we'll be sure to link to that website in our show notes page, which our show notes are always available on altstv.com slash podcast. Lorenzo, thanks, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you very much. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The Alternative Investment Podcast is produced by the Alternative Investment Database, online at altsdb.com. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and access the show notes by visiting altsdb.com podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Thank you.